0: Welcome to TCC Alive, a podcast of Toleric Community Church. A reading from Nehemiah. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and teacher of the law, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Let's go before God in prayer. Father, open our hearts and our minds to hear your word and to receive that word with joy. In your name I pray, amen. Amen. Well, uh, if you haven't been with us, we are in a series called The Off Season. This is kind of a time where TCC's in an off season, maybe in more ways than one, and we are acknowledging that well, there's a season for everything and we want to make the most of this. We want to approach this with purpose and intentionality, and we want to prepare ourselves for what God has in store for us next. And fundamentally, we want to grow. We want to grow. We want to grow to become like Jesus. And that's what we mean when we're talking about Christian growth. It's about moving away from worldliness and wickedness and sin and towards holiness and righteousness and godliness. It's about becoming more and more like Jesus. Well, this morning we're going to be looking at what causes us to stagnate in our growth. What stunts our growth. So in the Gospel of Luke, among others, Jesus tells a parable. He tells a parable about a sower sowing some seeds, seed is scattered, seed lands on different places, and they all have different meaning. And he's explaining this to his disciples, and he says this, chapter 8, verse 14, the seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. So life's worries, The burdens of life, the difficulties of life, the things that we might call the bad things of life, that can choke us, Uh, but also the riches of life, the pleasures of life, the comforts of life, the things that we might call the the good things of life, that can choke us too. So both the bad things and the good things. And so if you're asking the question, what stunts our growth or what causes our growth to stagnate, the answer is, well, only everything, right? Everything's going to fit into one of those two categories, the good things, the bad things, And so all we have to do is just avoid everything, and we'll be fine. It's not going to work out probably too well. It makes me think of like when you first had a kid. In modern society, we have a kid, and then we start baby-proofing everything, child-proofing everything. You go over to the nursery there, it's all baby-proof, it's all child-proof, I can't open anything over there. And we get, you know, maybe a little bit nuts about it, but it's an eye-opening experience, isn't it? Suddenly the world changes, and you look around and go, oh, man, the world is hostile, and human beings are fragile. Thoughts enter into your head that you've never had before, like, man, why do we make so many things with sharp angles?" Right? It's an eye-opening experience. And this is an eye-opening experience, too, is that the world is hostile. The Bible's constantly warning us about the dangers of the world. James says this, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. John says in 1 John, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life come not from the Father, but from the world. Now wait a minute. Aren't people in the world? Aren't our neighbors in the world? Aren't we told to love them? And this is John, didn't he write John three sixteen? For God so loved the world? That's so why it's important not to just read one Bible verse. You have to understand everything in this context. So he's using the word world here, right? Everything that's sort of in contrast to godliness. The things that sort of pull us away, pull us from godliness. And world's really not a bad term for it because it can be everything, it can be anything. Christianity's not up against cartoon evil. You know what I mean by that? Cartoon evil. In the 80s, there was a uh, cartoon show called He Man. I watched that. Anybody even watch He Man? No? Oh, man, you guys missed out. Well, He-Man's foe was Skeletor. And Skeletor would say kind of funny things. He's like he would say, I'm doing this for the sake of evil. Like he saw himself as the ambassador of evil. That's sort of cartoon evil. In reality, it looks a little different. C.S. Lewis says this, But in reality, we have no experience of anyone liking badness just because it is bad. The nearest we can get to is in cruelty. But in real life, people are cruel for one of two reasons. Either because they are sadists, that is, because they have a sexual perversion which makes cruelty a cause of sensual pleasure to them, or else for the sake of something they are going to get out of it. Money, or power, or safety. But pleasure, money, power, and safety are all, as far as they go, good things. The badness consists in pursuing them by the wrong method, or in the wrong way, or too much. I do not mean, of course, that the people who do this are not desperately wicked, right? Of course they are. But I do mean that wickedness, when you examine it, turns out to be the pursuit of some good in the wrong way. You can be good for the mere sake of goodness, you cannot be bad for the mere sake of badness. And that's what evil is like, it's sort of this parasitic thing, it's a twisting, it's a distorting, it's a perversion, it's fallen goodness. There's a reason why Satan is called a fallen angel, because we're not dealing with cartoon evil, you can't just put things into two categories and say this is the good stuff and this is the evil stuff. That would be easier to avoid, but everything can become evil. Everything can become twisted, even the good things in life, even the best things in life. Jesus says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Remember again, don't just read one Bible verse, but it's a good reminder, isn't it, that Even the priority matters. Even the order of thing matters in order to live a righteous life. So it's good to feed your dog. It's bad to feed your dog and not feed your kid. The order matters. It's not cartoon evil because everything can become twisted. And it's also not external principally. It's internal. It's like that old uh, kid's scary story. A person's home alone. And they're getting repeated phone calls and somebody's making threatening and creepy statements to them. So they contact the police and the police trace the call and they call back and they say, we traced the call, it's coming from inside the house, get out. But it's too late, scary, right? The danger is already within the walls. The danger is closer than you think and that's the reality of things is that the call is coming from inside the house. The problem is our hearts. Right? Even when John's talking about the problems of the world, what's he saying He saying the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, those are heart issues. Those are heart issues. The call is coming from inside the house. So you can't run from it, you can't hide from it, you can't baby-proof it away, though we try. Maybe there's some sense to that, but God wants us to mature. He wants to actually solve the problem, which is transforming our heart. Right When we grow, when we mature, the baby-proofing stuff starts to come down because we've gained wisdom, not because the world is any less dangerous. We just learned a thing or two, so we're not running around trying to put our fingers into outlets or drink Drano. We've gained wisdom. We've matured. And the reason why you know, Jesus, in his maturity, was able to go into the dark places of the world and be light and the fellowship with sinners is because he wasn't worried that they were going to be a bad influence on him. He was going to be an influence on them. And that's what maturity affords us, because this has been solved, transforming our hearts. But because the call is coming from inside the house, everything that we come into contact with can be a stumbling block for us. So life's worries. Life's worries. I like that. It's like it's not even real. It's just in your head. It be these small things, these trivial things. You know, previously in the parable, Jesus was talking about persecution and hardships and trial, you know, serious things. And that can be our downfall too, but it doesn't manifest itself in the same way. If you're dealing with trials and persecutions and, and real problems, one or two things will happen. Either it'll break you, or it'll send you rushing back to God. But that's not this. This is small things, little things, and it just sort of slowly chokes you, like the oxygen in the room is just slowly going out. Let me tell you about my life. So uh, we are still in our starter home, uh, even though we don't have a starter family, and we have four kids, and so it's just constantly, the house is in disarray, and it's a mess, and the kids are destructive, they put holes in the wall, and there's water damage, and our house is starting to show its age and fall apart, and so when I get up in the morning and I look around, there is something everywhere that can sort of needle me. It's just like get up and go, oh, the kids have made a mess again. I look over here and go, oh, look, the cat has been scratching on the door frames again. She started doing this. She's really destroying our door frames, and she never used to do this. She's just doing it in her old age, and we have a perfectly good cat scratch for her, which she doesn't use, or at least we did have a perfectly good cat scratch and the kids broke it. And I look over here, and the couch is tearing and it's falling apart. It's old and needs to be replaced. And I go over here to the kitchen, and I flip on the light, only the light doesn't come out because the switch is going out, and that needs to be replaced. And I go into the kitchen, and the kitchen table is bowing in the middle because it's old and it's cheap, and that just needs to be replaced. I'm like, that's it. Forget it let's get out of here let's load up with the van let's take the kids let's go on vacation and we do and guess what we got into a car accident so now our van has duct tape on it and so we're driving back home from our vacation on our battered up van into 100 degree heat and our ac goes out in our house so anyway how's your life <laughs> these are these are small things these are trivial things everybody has them Right? Life's worries, the burdens, the stresses of work. But they can take our focus. They can pull us towards earthliness. They can take away our drive for God and his kingdom, can't they? Hebrews says this, Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart so that you're not going to get choked out. We need to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. We need to be focused on him. And life's worries, well, they can take our focus. And so can life's pleasures, right? We're living in a very affluent time. It's just, it's remarkable. I mean, you think about the basic things like food. We have so so much food, a food of plenty. It's like our problem is that we're putting too many calories into our body. That is a unique problem in human history. And just so much food and good stuff and clothes and wonderful houses and climate control. We, we did get our AC fixed, by the way, and isn't it wonderful? And modern technology, high-speed internet, right? I can click on a button, and the same day a package is going to show up on my doorstep. That's amazing. I mean, just giant HD television, surround sound, Blu-ray, iPhones, iPads ads all this great stuff like content thousands of channels so much content you can even consume it all like streaming services i like that with the you're watching an episode and it will just end and go immediately to the next one and to the next one right we're binge watching you know on netflix eventually if you're watching enough it'll stop and a prompt will come up and go are you still watching I like that. I like Netflix checking in on me like it's worried. like it's, You're watching a lot of this. Are, 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 are you okay? Are you dead? Should we be calling an ambulance? You know, and, you, and you have to say, no, Netflix. I'm fine. I'm just spiritually dead. Next episode. You know? But you feel that, don't you? Like, uh, that we're just sort of entertaining ourselves to death. That we're just kind of getting lulled to sleep in the comforts of the world. You know, I've always had this sort of image in my head of this sort of like creepy demon, and he's just kind of cradling me, he's just sort of rocking me to sleep, just you know, shh, sh- 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 just go to sleep. Being choked, the oxygen in the room just slowly going out, and we're getting drowsy and we're dying and we don't even realize it. You know, I was I was thinking about off seasons. There's different kinds of off-seasons, there's a lot of different off-seasons, you know, there's off-seasons in hunting and agriculture and even television programming, but the one that probably comes to mind the most is sports. And so I was thinking about the really bad off-season, and a name that came up was Albert Hainsworth, and to give you an idea about what kind of caliber player he was, uh, in free agency, he was given a $100 million contract with $40 million guaranteed to come play with the Washington Redskins. But then during the off-season, he kind of just blew off the off-season workouts. And when he finally showed up to training camp, he was out of shape and overweight. And he failed to pass even the basic fitness test. That is a bad off-season. And needless to say, his career in the NFL did not last much longer after that. And it was called, actually, the worst free agent signing in NFL history. But it's not really uncommon if you're following sports a lot. It's like what you can see is when people get their big contract or their big payday, it's not uncommon to see a dip in their performance. I mean, if you're going to be paid $40 million, whether or not you get on a treadmill, you getting on it? Are you going to be paid $40 million whether or not you stick to your diet? you sticking to it? You know, are you going to get paid $40 million whether or not you go to work or not? Are you going to work? No, I'm not. I'll tell you that right now. So coaches have to battle against this. And so they know know about the big contracts. And after a big contract or after a big win, they'll say the same thing. They'll say, stay hungry. Stay hungry. Because they know something about human beings. They know that as soon as you start to take your foot off that accelerator, as soon as you start to lose your focus or lose your drive or lose your determination, you are going to regress as a player. And the same thing is true for us because the natural current of the world and the natural current of our own hearts is to move us away from God. And so if you are not actively swimming towards God, you are drifting away. Maturity actually requires constant vigilance. It's work. It is. It is. We are prescribed things to do in order to grow. This is a partnership that we enter into. So we work, God makes it grow. We work, God makes it grow. But we can get to a point where we go, I got my contract. I got my contract. I believe in Jesus. My, My salvation is guaranteed whether or not I read my Bible, whether or not I go to church, whether or not I worship, whether or not I give, whether or not I serve. I got my contract. And we can even get to a place where we start to think that a lack of hunger, that a lack of drive, that a lack of holy ambition is a virtue. We go, oh, I'm not hungry, but that's because I'm content. No, you're not. You're complacent. It's not the same thing. Paul says that uh, godliness with contentment is great gain, and that's true. But contentment without godliness is death. Jesus, writing and speaking to the church in Laodicea in Revelation, says this. He says, You say I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. Oh, you think you're content. No, you're complacent. You do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. See, I'll give you real contentment. It's an odd thing, isn't it, right? Contentment with hunger. I mean, hunger is discomfort. and There's a reality to that of a Christian walk. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, For we know... That if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling. Because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened. Because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Right? Groaning, longing, striving, working. How can you be content in that? It sounds exhausting. How do we do it? How could we possibly do it? Well, God forgive me for what I'm about to say next, but I'm about to praise Tom Brady. Tom Brady. (laughs) He's in his 40s and he's still playing football. And you know a little bit about him. He's got this ridiculous diet. I mean, you read about it and it just sounds like torture. And He's sticking to his exercises and he's just going out on the field. And the question is kind of why? Why? What's motivating him? I mean, you look at it from the outside, you look at it from the world's perspective. It's like he's got it all. I mean, he's won more Super Bowls than any other uh, quarterback in NFL history. He's broken all kinds of records. He's a first ballot Hall of Famer, no question. He's hundreds of millions of dollars, more money than he can possibly spend. He's literally married to a supermodel. He's got beautiful kids. He's got it all from the world's perspective. So why does he keep going at it? Why does he, what's driving him? Why does he stick to that ridiculous diet? Why does he keep exercising? Why does he go out on the field and get knocked around and, and risk serious bodily harm to himself? Why does he do it? the answer is pretty simple, really. He loves the game. That's it. That's the motivator. That's the drive. He loves the game. It gives him joy. Now, maybe being, you know, singularly devoted to a game is kind of dumb, but don't miss the point. So we started out this by reading Nehemiah, and maybe you're wondering what that was about. And here's the thing. So in Nehemiah, they're rebuilding the wall around Jerusalem, and they have toiled and they've labored and they've had many restless nights and have been under constant attack and they finally complete the wall and now they're, they're hearing the law of the Lord and they're weeping and they're crying. And I, I think it's because uh, they know that they didn't live up to it. And I think probably what's in the back of their minds is after all this work, after all this toil, how are we going to do any better? How are we going to succeed where others have failed? How are we possibly going to live up to the law of the Lord? And the answer was here. The joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Now, you could take it one or two ways with that. You could say, okay, God's joy is our strength. Or you could say that the joy that we have in God is our strength. But at some point, I think that just becomes a distinction without a difference. Because when we're actually living into this and pursuing godliness, they really become one and the same. So when Jesus says in John 15, if you keep my commands, right, that's pursuing godliness, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in His love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy May be complete. You know, lately, uh, I feel like I've been really sort of battling this. I feel like I have this sort of spiritual depression where I'm, I'm not here. It just sort of feels empty. And, you know, you feel like I, I'm, I'm tired of groaning, tired of striving, tired of saying the same prayers over and over again, reading my Bible, and it's just not penetrating anymore. You're singing the songs, and the words don't seem to resonate anymore. It's a scary place to be. Speaking to the church in Ephesus, Revelation says this. He says, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. That's quite a church right, sound doctrinally, hard workers, even enduring persecution and hardships, and they haven't grown weary yet. And I say yet because of what comes next. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you don't repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. See, if we're not loving God well, if we're not deriving joy in pursuit of godliness, then all of this really just becomes empty work. And that's not sustainable. Loving the Lord your God is the greatest commandment, if for no other reason, because it makes all the other commands doable. And if we're not loving God, if we don't have that in us, if we're not deriving joy, you're just going to burn out. So we need to get that back. We need to get that passion and that zeal back. We need to, and I think that a lot of it has to do with remembrance, right? Remember the heights that you have fallen. Remember the gospel. Remember what God did for you. Remember who God is, right? Ponder anew. Remember anew. Love anew. Because somewhere along the lines, we have taken our eyes off of Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. And the remarkableness of that statement, we've just become lost in life's worries or lost in, like, the life's pl- Pleasures and comforts. We've forsaken our first love, and we've started to serve some other master. And Jesus tells us, No, you can't do that. You can't serve two masters. You'll love the one, you'll hate the other. You'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. So, what's it gonna be? In the Chronicles of Narnia that allegorical story where Aslan is the picture of Jesus in the voyage of the Don Treader, Reepercheep the mouse, he makes this proclamation sort of answering that question. He says, my own plans are made. While I can, I sail east in the dawn shredder. When she fails me, I paddle east in my coracle. When she sinks, I shall swim east with my four paws. And when I can swim no longer, if I have not reached Aslan's country or shot over the edge of the world into some vast cataract, I shall sink with my nose to the sunrise. The cross before me, the world behind me, no turning back. It's quite an image, isn't it, right? That sort of singular devotion swimming out to God. I think it's a really good one because Christian life can so often look like that. It's that we, we dive in with joy swimming towards Aslan's country. And as we're growing and as we're maturing, we're getting out into deeper and deeper waters. And the earthly shoreline behind us is fading in the distance. And then something happens. So to, falters or to waver we start to swim back to the earthly shore we just sort of become divided in our hearts and we just sort of sit there just treading water just treading water and god tells us no you can't do that that's how you drown so come follow me Follow me. Keep your eyes fixed on that horizon. Keep your eyes fixed on me. You don't think you have the strength, and you're right. You don't, but I do. And I'll be your strength, and I'll be your joy, and I'll see you through to the other side. Only don't waver. Don't look back to that earthly shore, and don't save anything for a swim back. But follow me. Come on. Let's go deeper. Let's grow. Let's go deeper. Let's pray. Father God, you are our strength. And your grace is sufficient for us. And your power is made perfect in our weaknesses. Lord, let your power rest on us. Fill us with your spirit of joy. Forgive us for our divided hearts and our double minds. Help us grow. Help us mature. Help us to love you better and love you anew and hold nothing back. In your name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you want to know more about the ministries and mission of Tulare Community Church, visit us at tccalive.org.